Good afternoon and welcome to the show. Well, you know what? I've got two great guests lined up for you uh, this hour and uh, we're going to get, we're going to jump right into it. But before I do, uh, interesting week, uh, definitely in the marketplace, lots to talk about. We're watching, you know, prices actually come back up a little, uh, kind of a little bit of heat in the market. And um, a little bit later in the hour, I'm going to have the president of the Ontario Real Estate Association join me again. You will remember remember him as a previous guest, Mr. Tori Cartarelli. He is going to be joining me and we're going to have a good conversation about uh, the actual marketplace and where Aria is at today. You hear a lot of a lot of kind of little snippets in the uh, in the news where, you know, Rico, Aria, Treb, you know, all the acronyms are out there and uh, Tori is always great to have as a guest. But speaking of a great guest, uh, returning, of course, is Mr. Greg Bennell from BNN. He is host of House Money. By the way, you can catch it at uh, 5 p.m. on Tuesdays. Greg, welcome. Welcome back to the show. Thanks for the great intro. You got me blushing on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, lots and lots of stuff always for you and I to discuss. I've always liked how you and I can break it down, uh, Greg. Some of the main things that we can talk about, some of the key things, uh, I think we could just jump right into the fact that the stress test that is coming out in January has uh, has a lot of people putting a little bit of extra heat into the marketplace, you know, till the end of the year. What do you think? Yeah, people are worried, basically because once that stress test comes in, your purchasing power gets chopped. So if you've been eyeing that home or at least eyeing a neighborhood, you're thinking, you know what, after that stress test is in place, I'm not going to be able to afford it. So there's been this idea that we're going to see some of that activity pulled forward before January. But there's a big caveat there. And actually, when you look at what uh, the banking regulator, OSFI, wrote in their things, they basically said the deadline, the deadline for you to have this in place, big banks, is January 1st. But as of this date, and that was back a couple weeks ago in October, where possibly we expect you to already sort of be putting this test in place. But that's a real gray area. Some people are saying, well, that means it's already in place. But the, the whole language around it, which basically boiled down to, you know, where you can put it in place. So what does that, does that exactly mean? A lot of people say, well, the, it takes, you know, a couple of weeks for banks to get processes in place and to change their systems. But a lot of people are basically saying you don't have until January 1st. You might not have until, you know, the 1st of December, or even sometime later this month in November. So that definitely has a bit of, uh, I I guess uh, a concern out in the market that I'm not going to be able to buy as much house as I want once these tests are in place. I'm not even sure when I go into my bank if the test is already going to be in place or not. So there is ex- that expectation you're going to see some activity pull forward. But then after that minor bit of heat, what happens once everyone after January 1st absolutely has to be doing this test? That's where things are probably going to get uh, very interesting in terms of a, a catalyst that could be pushing prices down. Yeah, you know, interestingly enough, the way you put that is that... Um, and 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 I, you and I have had a lot of conversations about this. And one of my biggest concerns is when does the government stop trying to affect the market? You know, it seems that you know you've got the provincial government, you've got the federal government, everybody ganging up on real estate. If if there was if there was any form of cartoon that I think we could turn around and and draw out for 2017, it literally would be the provincial and federal federal government, you know, sitting there with their thumbs on the real estate market and trying to push it down. I don't know when enough is enough and is it when the real estate market calls uncle and it drops and everybody loses 30 or 40 percent? I mean, is it is it like for you and I, when we analyze this, we take a hard look at it and sure enough, it's like they, they just keep throwing measure after measure after measure after measure. 
all because they, uh, you know, is there a belief that to say, hey, listen, you shouldn't have this much equity in your property, so, or you should not be doing this? I mean, at what point is enough enough? Yeah, that, and that basically for the B20 regulations, the stress test, people were already saying, don't do this, enough is enough. So now they've gone and done that. And now there's another one looming, and this is the idea of lender risk sharing for insured mortgages. It's just like when you have a car, right? You smash it up and you say, oh, it's going to cost me two grand to fix this. Well, you have a deductible. And now they're actually talking about the banks who uh, have insured mortgages on their books saying, you know what, CMHC backstops all this stuff, but maybe it wouldn't be a bad idea for to be something akin to a deductible in there. You get a little bit of skin in the game. And now that's where the conversation has moved to saying, you know what, you've done all these other things, the provincial, the federal level, the municipal level, could now be enough, please, and not do this lender risk sharing? Because basically, it's going to raise costs for the banks. And anytime the bank has a higher cost, they don't swallow that themselves. They pass it right on to you. They're going to pass it on to higher interest rates, which would be another dampening effect on the market. So this is the next one. And they've been sort of dragging their feet on this one. This, that The idea is not new. We've heard from Evan Sedell, the head of uh, CMHC. He's talked on this for the past couple of years, but it, it seems to be dragging its foot along. Some people are expecting it's going to come about next year. And then you, we could be in a situation. Yeah, you've got the B20 regulations in place. You've got the market already significantly cooled, a lot of downward pressure. Then this shows up and there's just more uncertainty as to what it all means. You know, this is, uh, Greg, it's it's great having these conversations because I know you really do look into the depth of some of these things. But if you actually start crunching the numbers and what they're trying to do, so they, they, they want to limit uh, foreign buyers, they want to turn around and put, you know, caps on people that having the ability to, to spend. But at the same token, we still have the same problem. And are they are they really that daft that they can't understand that we have an inventory problem? I mean, you know, we take a look and the Canadian government is you know wanting to encourage more, you know, immigrants coming into the into the country. Naturally, a lot of them will come into the GTA or at least Ontario. Is it is it are they really that daft that they can't pick up on the fact that we need more inventory? Well, the thing is, uh, when you actually look at the amount of like new builds coming online, the shovels in the ground, the housing starts, those numbers uh, just came out, and I was looking through them, and the headlines, some of my reads say, oh, housing starts are strong again in October. People are buying to meet uh, to try to not buying, sort of building to try to meet demand. But as I drill down into the numbers, Ontario is actually a weak spot, and Toronto itself has a second straight month of declines in the amount of shovels going in the ground. Uh, Vancouver's strong and other areas of the country, Quebec as well. We know the economy's been booming there. Yeah, but if you're talking about Toronto, we know it's a big hub for immigration. And it's not surprising given what the Ontario government has done in terms of all the regulation. Builders are just taking a look at the situation and saying, yeah, I don't know if I want to put a shovel into the ground. So it is, it's really shocking to me when I look at this that even though condo starts are strong across the country, and that's a whole other conversation about where the money's moving. But in Toronto, second month of declines, Ontario is a big weak spot for for the country, the builders don't seem to have confidence to want to put that product out there that it's actually going to get them somewhere. Well, you know, you touched on Vancouver there for a second. And, you know, we know that their market has somewhat rebounded in 2017 from the big drop that they felt back in August of 2016 when the foreign buyer tax was, you know, put into place. But at the same time, uh, you know, they didn't quite have the same headwind that we had in Ontario when the wind government put in more of a 16-point approach as opposed to one mm-hmm. uh, with with the Vancouver with the um, you know BC government, so here we are. Can can uh, Toronto emulate the swing in the marketplace? 
You, yeah, you wonder because, you, like you said, right, in Vancouver, it was pretty straightforward what they did. Uh, there's a lot of different pieces, not only the 15% levy uh, for the Greater Golden Horseshoe, but also the rent control piece. The rent control piece is it's, it's a big part of this, and it sort of gets sh- shunted off to the side because people don't think of it in terms of, like, I want to buy a house. I'm not a renter. But when we talk about people willing to build, to, to build apartments, if, if we're going to become a nation where renters uh, start showing strength again in the latest uh, numbers from StatsCan suggest we may have hit uh, peak home ownership in this country, and someone's got to build those buildings for people to want to rent. And a lot of uh, developers I talked to this year said, you know, we had plans to build this tower and that tower, and it was going to be pure rental and not condos. And some of them actually converted those plans into condos because they thought, you know what, we're just not sure with this new regulation. Yeah, so you worry about the disconnect in terms of if this is the kind of city it's going to be where, like, the big cities of the world and New York, the amount of uh, renters versus homeowners vary high, obviously, places like London and Tokyo. If we're going to be that kind of city in Toronto, someone's got to build a place for the people to, to rent, because right now we know those vacancy rates are very low. Well, and, and another thing is is that, um, you know, there's a bill in front of the government right now that they're they're considering passing that says uh, you can't, as, as an owner of an investment property, let's say multi-res, if you had a tenant that was, let's say, living there for 20 years, and let's say the, the their market rent is way behind but they move out they're now considering the fact that uh, you cannot jack it up to market value that it has to be the same as what somebody had done historically so uh, it's bill 141 or 144 and you know uh, I think that anybody that owns investment properties should be all over this and lobbying against the government on it because you you are not going to be permitted so in other words if you've had one of those grandfather tenants kicking around and let's say they you know they had really really low rents and the property's worth way more when they naturally move out in other words you can't kick them out but if they naturally move out you as a landlord you going in and doing the renovations you're still not permitted to bring it up to market value yeah, you think there's got to be a middle ground there, right? No one wants to see, and we saw some of those headlines in the summer, you know, family evicted or basically evicted by rent raise. You know, our rent's going at 50%. We can't afford that. Nobody wants to see that. But at the same time, when you talk to developers, they're saying, if you're pegging the rent increases annually to around inflation, that's not good enough in terms of the maintenance they have to do. So you, you, you want to strike the right balance. You want people to have available rentals, and but they're not going to be available if investors and builders think that well, there's no money in this for us. Well, you in the end, I mean, everyone needs a place to live, but if you want people to show up and put product on the market, they're not charities. They're they're trying to make some money. And you think there's got to be a, a happy middle ground. That's the thing about politics, right? Did they swing the pendulum too far? Does the pendulum have to swing back? Where is the happy middle? <laughs> I know where we should put the happy middle, but anyways. <laughs> uh, so, Greg, I'm going to ask you to stay put um, when we come back. Uh, folks, uh, Greg Bennell is with me right now, and he is the host of of House Money, 5 p.m. on Tuesdays on BNN. Got to catch the show. Fabulous. You're going to learn a lot. Um, By the way, for those of you that have been kind of hanging on, waiting to hear more about what The Simple Investor is up to, well, we've got something lurking. Uh, Make sure you go to thesimpleinvestor.com. Also, we've got our Master Investor Program brand new release right now. So if you're excited about it, again, go to thesimpleinvestor.com. When we come back, I've got more with Greg Bennell. I've got but, uh, I was on a little bit earlier in the week with Jerry Agar. We were talking about builders and bedrooms. You know what? Something a little bit uh, interesting is happening, and I want to definitely talk to Greg about it. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this.
And welcome back. If you're just tuning in, my guest right now is Mr. Greg Bunnell. He is the host of House Money on BNN at 5 p.m. on Tuesdays. Hey, listen, you got to catch the show. It's awesome. And Greg is always a great guest to have on. Greg, just before the break, you know, you and I were kind of dissecting what the government's doing. And quite frankly, you know, not terribly impressive. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, you know what's really strange about all the political moves, too, is like you, you talked about it earlier in terms of home equity. So you're thinking of who votes for me, right? You've got these boomers and they've got a lot of equity in their homes. And for a lot of them, this is a big part of their retirement plans, even though financial planners say you shouldn't put all the eggs in that basket. But if your home's gone up in value 100%, 150% in the time you live there, you look at that as a big chunk of equity. So you don't want to destroy their equity. But then you also have this uh, a rising generation of millennials saying that I can't afford to live in the city where I work. And uh, yeah, trying to strike some sort of balance in there to try to get people into a housing market, but then not to turn around and completely end the party for everyone. And then uh, a bunch of people who would have voted for you are suddenly looking at their home equity uh, disappear, and they're not all that happy with what you've done. Yeah, I definitely hope our listeners are listening to that part that you just said about their equity disappearing thanks to the provincial government. And I'm sorry <laughs> that I'm going to put, I'm just going to put some, such an absolute on it. Quite frankly, I have said this, and, and, and you've heard me over the last couple of years with our, our discussions. They need to stay out of it. It should not be mandated that they get the they have the ability to pull values back when somebody you know I get it. Look at if somebody's flipping a property. If we've got our speculators, you know what? Tax them. Great. You know what? If you don't if you don't own it, you don't own it for two years. You know what? Tax them. No problem. That's a speculator. That's somebody creating a business out of it. Great. You've got somebody that's lived there for thirty years. You know they 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 have invested in the community. They paid the taxes of the community. Community, the community's gotten stronger, values have gone up. Why is it the government's mandate to turn around and squash what they have? earned their entire life. Yeah, the thing about the, what the government's trying to do too, and I don't think they want to trigger the uh, the big loss of equity of 30 to 40%, because basically, if you look at the Toronto market now, we just sort of turned back the dial about a year. That definitely doesn't make anything more affordable for young people, uh, but at the same time, on, on paper, if you've been in your house for 15 or 20 years, you looked at that last bit of a rise right up to like April of, of this year, and you went, wow, look how much richer I am, and then some of that disappeared, but overall, you're still doing pretty well. I know we have a lot of millennials in our newsroom, and what really amazes me is how consumed they are about whether they'll ever be able to afford real estate. And I'll be like, how old are you? They're like, oh, I'm 24, I'm 25. It's like, you know, I didn't buy my place first place until I was 31. You know how much thought I gave it before that day? Mm, about zero. Now, to be fair, those were different times, 15 years ago. But uh, I, it, when I did give it a little bit of thought, I thought, how could I ever afford a house? Life changes. You get a job, you save some money. It's tougher now. I agree with that. But a lot of people are going to find a way. Yeah, but you know what, and, and, and I appreciate the point, but one of the things that, uh, you know, there was a study done, and the millennials actually turned around, and when asked, okay, where do you think the value should be, they wanted to see a 40% reduction, <laughs> and this was back in 2016 they said this. So in other words, they only felt that they should have to pay the value of 2009 in real estate. And this is where it becomes absurd because when you take a look at the numbers, so you want to completely wipe out years of a standard appre appreciating market, you know, because there was a few years in there that we had just a steady appreciation, not this crazy, you know, spring of 2017. And I understand that that market got way out of hand. But when they turn around basically and said, look, it, we want, we would be willing to pay 40% less 
And it's like, well, hang on. So let's say this was their parents. Are they willing to take 40% less of an inheritance? Well, that's the thing. When you were talking about that, that's what exactly came to mind. It's like one of those, be careful what you wish for. Oh, wow. Home prices just went 40%. I can afford to buy a home and my parents are going to help me out. So you go back to the bank of mom and dad and the bank of mom and dad says, you know what? 40% of our home equity just just disappeared, son. Uh, We're not going to be able to give you the money you thought we were going to be able to give you. Yeah. And that 40% that goes disappearing, you know, that might have been used to maintain a lifestyle for, let's say, five years, six years, depending on what they have set up for retirement. Are the kids willing to have mom and dad, you know, move in with them or are they going to turn around and, and bolster their retirement fund? And see, this is the thing. This is this is where I, I just really, you know, I, I'm going to be adamant. I think the government just has to step away from uh, step away from the panic button. Um, another topic uh, this week, Greg, of course, was the fact that a lot of people are saying that, hey, if the builders are going to build, you know, high rise, they should be building bigger units. Two and three bedroom units should become more the norm. What do you think? Well, that, yeah, that's the argument. And that was with Ryerson University. They've been talking about this for a while about what's missing in Toronto is the missing middle. You start off in a condo, it's got one bedrooms. Maybe if you're lucky, it's got two bedrooms. That's cool. You're single, you meet someone, that's cool. There's only two of you, you can share some space. Second bedroom is still an office. It's pretty much my life story. <laughs> and everything's fine. And then you have kids and you're like, uh-oh, we don't have enough space. And then you look at the city and you say, I love the city, but I can't afford a house the size that I need for me and my kids. So we, you move out to the suburbs. That's exactly what we did. So they're saying there needs to be something in between. The thing about the condo space, and we know that I mean, pardon me, some of the condos that come online are like, you know, 300, 400 square feet, like smaller than they've ever been. People trying to like realize value out of that uh, development. Uh, But they say, we're the two or three bedrooms. If we're going to be a nation, at least in the big urban centers of apartment dwellers and condo dwellers more than we've ever been, then if we had a two or three bedroom condo or a little bit more space, then we could live there. Uh, But at the same time, they recognize in the report that when the developers look at it, they're thinking about uh, who wants to buy into these condos. Mm, Probably not families as much. Which is investors, and what are investors sure. renting out? They're renting out one and two bedrooms, or one in dens, that kind of stuff. So there's a bit of a disconnect there. It's a it's a tough nut to crack, though, because do you want people having to move an hour out of the city and take the train in every day? Do you want them to remain in your city? It's it's a, it's a, it's, a, it's a tough one. We actually had a three bedroom condo, but I mean the third bedroom was uh, it was fine when my uh, youngest son was a baby in a crib, and we're waiting for an open house at our old condo so we can go back and just marvel now that the kids are teenagers about how tight the space would have been if we had. <laughs> There. <laughs> you know, interesting that the um, the older condos they used to build them a lot bigger. You know, back in uh, you know back in the eighties, you know, you could get into condominiums that were 12, 15, 1,600 square feet. You know, really good layouts, three bedrooms without a problem. And even those when those come up on the market, nobody wants to buy them because they're not right in the core downtown and they're not fancy and sparkly. And you know, it'll be it'll be interesting over the next uh, it'll be over the next uh, few years to see what happens. Thing is, that square feet too, right? If you are talking about a three-bedroom condo with a nice living area and a kitchen, uh, things cost a certain amount per square foot. So it might be great once you get that product into the market, but then people are going to find out, you know what? That condo is going to cost a lot more than the other condo. I've been talking to some developers who are, they're in the high end of the market and they're catering to building these condos that are really spacious. You're talking, you know, two, two and a half thousand square feet. I mean, that's really spacious for me. My condo was 900 square feet, Uh, but they're targeting him 
at, at very uh, affluent boomers who are moving out of their nice big neighborhoods in North Toronto, still want to stay in the neighborhoods. So that, that's a different dynamic. I mean, what Ryerson's talking about is the millennial who, who buys a place and then feels like they have to leave the city because they had kids. And that's what's sort of missing in the city. Yeah, excellent. Listen, Greg, always a pleasure having you on the show. Um, definitely have to get you back just before the year ends. We can do a recap, but thanks so much. Always and, great to be here. Yeah, awesome. So, folks, Greg Vanell, he is the host of House Money, 5 p.m. Tuesdays on BNN. Make sure you catch his show. It's awesome. And coming up after the break, I've got a Tori Cartarelli gel joining me. So make sure you, uh, you know, keep the dial right where it is. And we'll be right back after this. And welcome back. Uh, if you're just tuning in now, my guest joining me is Mr. Atori Cartarelli. He is the president of the Ontario Real Estate Association, and he's also a broker of record at National Realty Centre uh, Brokerage in Mississauga. And uh, welcome back to the show, Atori. You, you and I have had uh, had some really good conversations in the past. We have. Thank you very much, Todd. It's a pleasure to be back. So um, lots in the news today, uh, you know, over the last few weeks uh, for you and I to talk about, because being the president of ARIA, of course, there's lots of changes uh, going on. We've seen a lot of things in the headlines over the last little while as well uh you know a couple other I, i'm gonna call the acronym companies are stepping in um so let's uh let's let's talk about one of the headlines in the news this week and maybe you and i can have a good conversation about it um there was a real estate brokerage actually and i and i'll say they got their ticket pulled which means that they've lost uh the ability to trade real estate um it, it was a remax brokerage you and i don't know obviously the extent of what happened and everything else but the truth is is this hasn't happened in a long time. Um, it, no, it hasn't happened in a long time in terms of actual uh, numbers. It, it has happened uh, rarely in, in the past uh, few years. But this is one of the safety valves that's been set up by the government administered through the Real, Real Estate Council of Ontario to protect both the public as well as the industry. And our practitioners, of course, uh, want to be able to continue to earn a living as well, as, as you know. We we share a lot of commission uh, through various brokerages. So this is um, uh, an act that uh, an action that RICO has taken. Uh, the facts aren't really available right now, but obviously it's a precautionary step, mm -hmm. and they will carry out their investigation and uh, see where where it leads to, whether there's any serious issues there or not, or just or just weak administrative procedures, if you will. So, yeah. you know, you, you talk about uh, administration, and I'm not sure if all our listeners truly understand the extent of real estate brokers when they're dealing with a transaction. And of course, when you when you go to buy a property, you know, you have your buyer and your seller, the buyer is going to give a deposit with the offer. So it's kind of an intent, you know, let the <clears throat> people know that they're serious. It's all part and parcel of a transaction. But in most cases, uh, that's that deposit's held by, it would be normally the listing brokerage, correct? That's right. Yeah. So here you go. You give certified funds to the listing broker, and then all of a sudden you find out in the news that the listing brokerage has got a problem. Is there is there insurance in place? And, and, and sorry, I'm, I'm kind of setting you up. I know the answer to this, but I would rather hear it from yourself. Well, um, 
it depends on the action that's been taken, uh, the wrongdoing that's involved, if there is wrongdoing, and uh, and how that's dealt with by uh, by the real estate council. You know, previously we did have lots of situations where uh, funds were were mismanaged, and so they they weren't there. Mm-hmm. Um, that's been rectified to some extent. But let me explain first of all that every real estate brokerage has a minimum of three accounts. Um, almost by by statutory action, if you will. The first one, of course, is the trust account, which is for the deposit for client monies. Mm -hmm. Once a deal is closed and properly dealt with, then that money is transferred to a commission trust account and paid out from there either to a cooperating broker um, from the client trust account. If there's a refund that goes back to the client, then it will come out of there. Uh, And then the broker can can take the money from the commission trust account if they will and move it over to their general account if if they're the ones that are getting paid from that. So there's those three levels. Um, It is becoming common in some jurisdictions I just returned from a uh, real estate conference in uh, in the U.S. Uh, where we shared some mutual information. But even in Canada, there are some provinces where the deposit goes into a general government fund, if you will. Mm-hmm. So it's not held by the brokerage. Um, other times in more complicated deals, as, as you well know, sometimes they will go to either lawyer and they won't go to the brokerage at all. And, and it's all by agreement with the buyer and the seller. Sure. But typically in a simple scenario, it would go into the brokerage client trust account and that money shouldn't be touched except for closing of that particular property. Yeah. So this uh, this information obviously made, made the headlines this past week uh, in the news. And folks, if any of you are affected by this brokerage, you can reach out to RICO. Um, they'll be able to give you a little bit more information on what is happening there. And of course, um, you know, we'll, we'll keep you up to date on something like that. And again, it's not something, you know, it's interesting because you, um, you and I talked back in, uh, you know, a few months ago, plus back in the spring, just before you actually took, took the chair mm-hmm. of being the president, um, you know, and one of the things that uh, we were we've watched this year is just kind of a crazy real estate market. I mean, you know, you've been at it for thirty years. I've been pretty close to that. And looking yep. at the marketplace, you and I, you know, commented that back in the spring we'd never seen a run up like that in in our time frame. No, no, never. And it, it has been a crazy year because it's gone in all sorts of directions. Um, so yes, the the uh, particularly the GTA Greater GTA. Market, um, you know, multiple offers like we'd never seen before. Uh, people rushing to break down the door, all of that kind of uh, stuff. Um, once it settled a little bit in the Toronto area, they did start to experience similar types of activity in in the outskirts uh, of Toronto. So you saw an impact in areas like Hamilton, Brantford, uh, so on, uh, even the Barry area. Um, and so you had these kind of outer pockets where the activity continued. Once the government stepped in with their 16-point plan, it kind of tended to settle things down. Um, not necessarily in the right direction all the time, <laughs> but it did affect it. And uh, it's been, what, four or five months now since that happened. And yep. we're starting to see the a changing market sure. again because of that. Yeah. You know, I, I, I do want to talk to you about that today. Um, also, I do want to talk, uh, you know, some of the things, some of the things that have changed actually in the area, you know, uh, the 
Berea family and what's going on there. Mm-hmm. Um, but to, to, to continue to talk about the marketplace, um, you know, one of the things you, you, you just touched on, of course, the government implemented, uh, you know, this 16-point approach to, to softening the market. You know, I think they that what they said was flat out they want to increase the affordability for people. Um, you know, for the, uh, for us of, in the actual industry, not all of us agree that the government should even play into this, you know, because the market will naturally adjust itself. Correct. You know, we watched the Bank of Canada throughout the summer. You know, we watched, uh, you know, uh, two increases. So they took back the Incentive. So now we've got a little higher interest rates. We now have um, new stress tests coming in in yes. January, of course, and this is making some of the people that are buying conventionally a little bit nervous. Where do you see the market going? I mean, you know, and I'm not asking you as the president of Aria. I'm actually asking you as a real estate brokerage great practitioner here in uh, Mississauga. You know, what you're where you've been practicing for years. Where do you see this market going? Because you know, this this kind of was a little bit reminiscent of the late. Uh, late 80s 90s there where where they had a big collapse but we're not kind of in that free free fall right now no we're not and um, um, this has been a unique year because we've had a lot of short-term impacts which then tend to either disappear or just dissipate so as you brought out right now um, the effect of the new stress test with a January 1st date on it is actually putting pressure on the market for people to get out and put their offers in immediately with quick closing so we've already seen sort of a 30-day period where competitive bids a rush to a good property is happening again sure that obviously won't continue past January 1st so you know um, if you don't need to buy and you're not in that ratio kind of a uh, situation then waiting till the first week of January might actually be you might a get better a deal. time to exactly sure so we've we've had a series of those kinds of short-term events uh, this year yes the general belief is the the government should just stay out of the marketplace period um, uh, you know the big issue for real estate in general in the GTA area is supply it's not uh, interest rates it's not the market itself it's just supply by doing what they did effectively they uh, they ignored the supply issue of the equation and they actually reduced the the part of the impact is a reduction in supply because people like seniors in a, as an example uh, who were let's use the term loosely who were willing to cash in and offer their properties in the market now have withdrawn yeah. and so the buyers have even less to choose from yes they may not have the same rush they had before um, so you know I think the jury is still out in terms of of uh, what the finance minister did and whether it was the right thing okay so I'm gonna have you hold that thought folks we're gonna go to a quick break when we come back we We've got more with Atori Cardarelli. He is the president of Ontario Real Estate Association. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back. If you're just tuning in, my guest right now is Mr. Atori Cardarelli. He is the president of the Ontario Real Estate Association. He's also the broker of record in uh, out in Mississauga, and um, he's been at about 30 years. And you know, you and I were just talking about the marketplace, and we were we we're having a great conversation. And by the way, folks, if you've missed any part of the show, and always remember this, you can go to the News Talk 1010 website, click on Simply Real Estate, and go to my SoundCloud. You know what? Uh, 
Um, we've always, uh, we're now putting them up on a regular basis. I know people were missing out. We had a little bit of a glitch there, but we're back and you can pick up every one of my shows that you've missed. But uh, Tori, when you and I were talking uh, a minute ago, we were just discussing the fact that, you know, the, the government probably should not be intervening in a market. Let it become more of a natural market. Uh, the one comment though, and, and you know what, this has been a comment that I've gotten from all, and I'll call real estate professionals, is that there is a lack of inventory, but yet the government doesn't see it that way. They aren't willing to admit that there's a lack of inventory. They believe that the run-up was all speculators hopping in the market. They believe that at at one point people were just being greedy. In fact, the the provincial government, uh, you know, is trying to imply that they need to pull back some of the prices so that the new buyers can come in because they they're, they're trying to force something to say that the new buyers should be able to buy affordable real estate but yet the people that have you know taken care of these homes for 30 years they've got their nest egg this is for their retirement all of a sudden they just watched a ton of money disappear well you know i think everybody has good intentions um the actions don't always lead to those kinds of results and i'll give you a current example that's happening right now so everybody's committed to the new energy levels the new green act and the impact that that's going to have we have a federal government program right now that's just kind of in the works and it's forcing home builders and new construction to do things that we have not traditionally done such as as an example putting in a charger for an electric car in in your garage whether you have an electric car or not now in the long run that may be a good thing <laughs> but it's an additional $2,500 cost minimum sure. uh, to, to do that so um, at the same time, federal government through their mortgage uh, outlets have introduced the, the stress tests. So that has reduced the first-time buyer's potential and maybe even a second and third-time buyer. Um, on the other side, we've got the provincial government that says exactly what you just touched on is we want to improve the situation for first-time buyers. We want to be able to make sure housing is affordable. Those two things aren't going together. They're going in different directions. Sure. And the government and the provincial government, even though they've talked about it, hasn't actually done anything to reduce delays, which every builder would tell you it's not even the cost of construction, it's the delays. Sure. New condominium projects, as an example, have gone from a probably a three to five year delay to a five to a ten year delay to get approvals. Well, there's costs related to waiting. So there seems to be, as I say, good intent, but somehow the coordination for it's, all this isn't happening. It seems like a total disconnect, actually. Correct. And, you know, you've got the mindset of the government who, and, and, and sorry, you, you don't have to hop in on this, but this is just me kind of railing on yeah. the situation, is that I've always looked at the provincial government as the people that don't want to turn around and actually put on a business hat. They want to sit there and say, kumbaya, we have to take care of the, the new people coming up. But yet the people that are actually financing the rest of the world and, and 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 what's actually going on right now are the people that are they're they're going to affect the most and then on top of that you know you I, I'm pretty sure you know up in the news I was I was on a couple of the shows this week we we're having this discussion that the government wants to turn around potentially and put in that you need to make sure that your home is energy efficient even yes. though in a resale situation so you know you got the houses that are gonna tear down but hey wait a minute you got to put new windows in it and unless and I'm pretty sure they're gonna throw in 
the unless you unless you decide to tear it down in six months then but they're they're going to put so much weight on people's shoulders to, to turn around it's almost like it is not possible at least in the provincial government's mindset it is not possible for you to do well in real estate in other words they don't want to see people investing in real estate they just want to basically say yes you are permitted to have a roof over your head if you benefit from it financially we don't want you to benefit that's what that's what i've been reading right with all everything that's out there your take on it uh, I would agree with you, first of all, that that seems to be the, the long-term in, uh, intent. Um, it's really not their business. Uh, I, I mean, you know, the, uh, the equivalent side of it is they create all sorts of situations for corporations and shareholders to be able to make money. The banks charge all sorts of fees to be able to bring returns to their shareholders. Um, so a, uh, a homeowner who's been in their home for 50 years uh, shouldn't have the same rights. Uh, they shouldn't be able to benefit from increased market value uh, by natural events. So I think the intervention at this point is starting to exceed more than natural events. And it's one thing to, to regulate a small sector if there's wrongdoing, but there isn't any wrongdoing here. So I think now we're crossing the line where they've just started to go too far. Yep. Well, I'm going to touch on something that's uh, it's, uh, it's a little bit of a hot topic um, for for Aria and, and Rico, of course. Um, Aria has always been the educator for realtors. They've been running the colleges for for years and years and years. Um, that's how you got your license. That's how I got yep. my license. Um, as of 2019, I think it's the last time Aria is going to be doing the education. 2020. Uh, 2020. Yep. yep. And and Rico has decided to award it to more of an online platform with somewhat of their involvement. Um, you, you know. I just from an outsider's perspective, you know, obviously that's that's going to hurt Aria. Uh, you know, financially they've been they've been there for the realtors. Um, good or bad move? I mean, you know, I, I know you're the the current president of the Ontario Real Estate Association, but the one thing I've always respected is the fact that you are also a very good, solid voice of real estate, and that's what I'd prefer to talk to. Thank, thank you for that. Um, so Aria. Um, um, the Aria College is actually not as old as uh, as Aria itself. It's only been in uh, in the last uh, two decades that the uh, college concept uh, existed. Yes, Aria was an education provider for that. Let's first of all, for the listeners, clarify that there's two levels of education. One is the entry level, which we call licensing in- education, and the second one is the education for the practitioners that are already there, and we refer to that as continuing education. So Aria used to provide both of those. They were always on a contractual basis. Right. So it was never a, a, a lifetime grant, if you will. And we tended to work very well with that in terms of re- renewing them in either five or seven year cycles. Um, what happened in 2008, RICO made a decision that they wanted to control the content of education. So at that point, um, Aria had the opportunity of submitting things to RICO for approval in terms of upgrading the courses, but very little, in fact, almost nothing got approved by RICO at that point. So essentially the courses stayed stagnant. Yeah. So we were frustrated with that. Uh, we think we still made a reasonable proposal to RICO to be able to carry out those courses, but they they chose to go a different route and that's fine. 
Um, we will adjust accordingly. Uh, I mean, our, our number one role was always advocacy, and uh, uh, some of us around the table always felt that having the education contract there sometimes confused the issues around yeah, the might, table. might have hampered your so, abilities, yeah. Sure. Yeah, exactly. So to some extent, it's, it's maybe a, a good thing. Money is money, and it's always helpful, but to some extent, this is probably a good thing. The fundamental issue, though, which we're also seeing across the country in other jurisdictions and other provinces, is that the RICO was set up as a regulator to provide public protection and, if you will, monitor what's happening in, in our industry. As you said earlier, they've, they've dealt with one brokerage right now. Um, and that's the role that we think we want them to play. Uh, setting the standards for education and let somebody else deliver them is really where it should be about. So it's the sure. same as an open marketplace. Yep. Uh, that we have a little bit of concern with because even though they did choose an outside supplier, not so sure that, that, that they effectively went to the market to do that. Not quite at arm's so, length is what you're saying. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So, um, so the concept of saying no, uh, Rico shouldn't be providing the education. Um, let them set the standards. Carry out the role that they were supposed to, uh, that they were created to carry out, um, and and go from there. So, yeah, we're going through an adjustment period. We'll continue to do that until 2020. We've reached out to the new provider and offered our services in any way that we can. Yep. And uh, we'll see. Maybe they maybe they want to go in a totally different direction. Well, I will congratulate you. Um, you know, Aria is definitely you know they're putting more pressure on everybody. They're trying to to stiffen some of the penalties these, some of the rules and regulations. I think it's a wonderful thing. Um, I think that cleaning up the industry, you know, getting rid of the people that probably shouldn't be in the industry is important. Yeah. And uh, and I, I will say for sure that, uh, you know, some decent changes. Um, we definitely want to uh, stay in touch with you. Um, you know, I love having you as a guest at Tory. Thank and you very always much. Always a pleasure. So, Thank uh, you. Yeah, so thanks so much for coming on today and and sharing, you know, some of uh, some of your information and we'll definitely have more uh, more in the near future. Thank you very much. Todd, and it's a pleasure to be here and look forward to any other opportunity down the road. Excellent. Thank you. Uh, folks, that was Mr. Ettore Cardarelli. He is the president of Ontario Real Estate Association. And he's also a real estate broker. Hey, listen, you know, uh, make sure if you've missed any part of this show, make sure you go back, uh, you know, log into the News Talk 1010's website and simply click on Simply Real Estate and you will find my SoundCloud. You can pick up everything that you've missed. Hey, listen, I, uh, of course, want to thank uh, my producers this week, Andre and Ian. They always make it simple. They keep it simple for me. And uh, on top of that, I can't uh, forget to always thank you, my listeners, for tuning in each and every week. Remember, next week I am back at Saturday at 3 p.m. As usual, you've been listening to Simply Real Estate right here on News Talk 10. And I am your host, Todd C. Slater. I'll talk to you next week.